who are on the run from the police. Not, not just one police force, three police forces. Counterterrorism, Sussex Police, and the Metropolitan Police. And I made them run around everywhere. Abul Hassanat is a very controversial figure. I am an atheist. There was a time in my life where I was a bit unsettled. I might have been considered an, uh, an agnostic. Polygamy, criminal offences, terrorism, stolen money, rukia, and much, much more. Polygamy is a part of the religion itself. Men have always practiced polygamy. To have the conversation is difficult only because... Um, when my stomach bursted open inside and I was bleeding internally, right? Just at that moment, they bursted in. About 26 of them with guns and stuff. I was on the floor, butt naked. I was gasping for air, I couldn't breathe. Oh Allah, forgive me. Oh Allah, forgive me. I said my shahada and stuff because I thought I was gonna die. I thought I was gonna die. I thought I was gonna die. Brother Abul Hassanat, Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi Thank you very much for um, accommodating this show. Um, now, obviously, I'm gonna go straight into it. Okay. So, obviously, you've dis disappeared from the face of the earth, oh basically. Um, when was the last time we've seen you on social media? I'm on social media, but my presence is not as such as it was before. Yeah, Especially so with I the think, content was it 2018? Stuff. Like when kind of you took a step back from the actual when, social media? 2019, June. 2019, 2019. So I'm not going to pretend like as if I'm taking sides here or I'm trying to kind of like, you know, defend you or trying to stitch you up. I'm yeah, just going to yeah, no, ask you questions that are kind of coming in my mind and that I find kind of, I'm, I'm curious about. So I'm going to take That's that view. Yeah, it's yeah. not about, you know... Again, as I said, it's not about disrespecting you or, or doing a Piers Morgan mm. on you. No, I know well, that. I might, do it. I, might, I might do it, but... <laughs> <laughs> do you condemn her? Do you, do you condemn yourself? <laughs> I don't condemn myself, no. Um, okay. Once again. Now, obviously, I've reached out to you to kind of really discover what, what went on before you disappeared from... Internet for a while, at M least. Mind you, I, I didn't disappear. It's uh, People probably don't see me as often, especially with the, the amount of reach I had previously. Yeah. Which was like, I don't know, weekly 40 million or land. But around East London, everyone always sees me anyway, because I'm around, you know. Okay. So take us back in time. You know, who's Abul Hassanat and where did he come from? And what's ultimately his purpose in life? Like, who is he and what does he want? Okay. From one uh, Ibn Abdul Subhan to another, our father shared the same name, by the really? way. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So um, my father, uh, he came to this country in 95, Alan, yeah? Um, he was away for, he was out of my life for quite a few years until I came to this country. I was there with my mom in Bangladesh. So we came in 2002. So I grew up uh, here mostly from the age of 10. So, since then, I've been back home a few times. Uh, I studied in the Madrasa, Jamiatul Ummah, in Shadwell. Um, from there onwards, uh, I started getting into, I started becoming practicing, say, around the age of 16, 17, more so, because obviously there's a lot of people that go to Madrasa and so on. I had uh, mostly an Islamic upbringing. Like, I wasn't allowed to watch films, listen to music, or anything like that. My mom was very strict, right? 
So um, he raised me like listen to a lot of Quran stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I grew up watching documentaries, reading books, all that. Yeah, I was generally a a decent kid, well behaved, and so on. Um, after that, uh, I took on the role of uh, being an imam at quite a young age at Al Ansar uh, Islamic Center, Poplar. Okay, Poplar High Street. Yeah. So from there, that's really where my journey of rukya and stuff happens. In case a lot of people they don't understand what rukya is, it's to do with say for well nowadays it's known for say for example jinn possession, black magic, evil eye, and so on. Yeah. Um. So yeah, well, the thing about Rukia, that sort of started when uh, I was working in uh, Al-Ansar, Islamic Center, yeah? So there was a Raqi that came, Raqi is a person who does Rukia. There was a Raqi, he came from Mauritius, and he was, do, he was reciting on a sister, and her husband was there, yeah? And uh, to me, this is sort of new at the time. I'm about 16 years old, yeah? So he was reciting, and all I saw was this sister vomiting into a bucket as he's reciting. So he's like, He's reciting like this loud, yeah? And this went on for like a few hours, yeah? So I was there, I assisted him, helped him out. When he was tired and stuff, he'd be like, can you recite? I wasn't really that scared of it, yeah? Because uh, when I was young, like I witnessed a lot of these things of people. Well, getting, back home or? Back home. Or- Back home. Yeah, back home in Bangladesh, there was a there was a relative of ours, yeah, right? She'd get possessed every few days and so on. And you know back home, they have some questionable methods. Like, mm-hmm. they used to put chili in her nose and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, she used to sometimes go a bit crazy. I don't know exactly what it was, whether it was possession or not. Because obviously back home, they're very ignorant of, uh, say, for example, any mental health issues and so on. So one day she... It's quite sad. One day she put a cat in a rice sack and threw it into the pond, right? The cat drowned. So she used to have these episodes all the time. And then there would be an imam that comes, he recites and so on. And then he goes. We also had that stuff. So you were quite like, it seems like you were quite fascinated by it even before you became an imam. You kind of witnessed it back home. And did you ever kind of have any thoughts in your head? Okay, what's going on? Or maybe like, did you think you might be able to do it one day or did, did any of these thoughts occur in your in your mind? None of these things crossed my mind. To be honest, when I was really young, yeah? So we went to Saudi in 2001, about, yeah? So that was the first time I heard, say, Sudais, Shuraim, them reciting and so on, yeah? So I, my mom got cassettes. At that time, it was cassettes back home. We grew up with no electricity or anything like that, yeah? Uh, it was just, you know, those oil lamps. Yeah, 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 yeah left on. We yeah, call yeah. It. <laughs> so uh, at that time, yeah, we used to play Sudai uh, Shuraim on cassettes and I used to just listen to recitations and uh, emulate them, yeah? So at the time, my dream was not not being aware of the world, being a young kid, yeah? I want to become the Imam of Mecca. I had high ambitions from, from a young age, yeah? So that's how my mom raised me, yeah? Um... So, yeah, at the time, there wasn't anything like in my mind about jinn possession. It was just a thing that happens here and there. You get a little bit scared. Uh, we had this uh, other guy who was uh, doing, he was dealing with people who are possessed, right? Well, he used to pretend he's, or he used to say he summons jinns. So at that time. Jinn catching, they call it or something. 
not exactly gin catching, but back home, they some people they claim that they have control over jinns. Okay, okay. Right? They have control over jinns, like we have jinn mu'min, mm. believing jinns under our control, right? So he used to have these like little um, events where people would gather around, yeah? And um, his name was Awan. I still remember. I was nearly the first. So uh, one day, what happened is one of these cheeky little youth, right? As uh, he used to summon the jinns, he used to say, Jinn, come, right? So you would hear like footsteps, bang, bang, bang. Yeah? No, like, serious, are you like... You, you would, you would is, hear footsteps. Is this yeah. like, uh, are you narrating some kind of a, like, you know, artificial story or is this real, like bam, bam, bam? Happened, bam, bam. I was young. I was, I was about eight years old. So at the time, right, you'd hear all those noises, yeah? And in these events, no one was allowed to have a light on, right? So one day, one of these cheeky youth, he turned on the torchlight, yeah? And they see him with a pole. Boom, boom, boom. And the, you know the sat? Oh! You, you know the metal? Metal My moves, God, like right? you kind of like, you know, had me <laughs> fooled there. So, so they grabbed him. They, yeah. uh, they stuck him in the mud. They beat him up and Damn. stuff like that. And that was, that was the last of our one. So look, um, your mom... Has yeah. been a big influencer in your in your kind of um, how you kind of were raised, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. always around my, my worldview. Yeah, yes, being young. Yeah. How I mean, how did you form that view? I mean, obviously, we will kind of discover later on in the as we kind of progress with our conversation. But your real kind of views did it did it form from Alansar onwards, or, or or later, or, or when you were younger? I think our views are constantly uh, developing, evolving. Right? As human beings, you know, you go through certain experiences, it might change you as a person, or you witness something and then changes your perspective on it. Uh, so right now, I'm at a stage where um, I'm, I'm very much at peace with my own mind. Yeah, mm -hmm. Like saying in terms of my uh, spiritual state, faith, religion, and stuff like that. Um, there was a time in my life, say around 20, 2016, 15 maybe, where I was a bit unsettled. So when when did social media, I mean, how did social media come about in your life? In, in my life, yeah. right. So since I was quite young, I haven't been exposed to, say, Western culture and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Say, for example, the music and whatnot, TV shows and stuff like that. Like I said, you know, I wasn't even allowed to watch. Say, for example, a lot of people, they watch EastEnders, yeah? I wasn't allowed to watch that. My cousins would watch it and stuff like that. They could relate to each other in that sort of way. Me, I could just only watch David Attenborough. <laughs> That's it, right? Uh, and my dad, he used to make me read the dictionary. So I become well-versed in speaking and stuff like that, yeah? Um, what was it that you just asked? I sort of <laughs> it happened. So uh, w uh, where did the rise of social media or, or yeah, social media come media. in your life? So social media, um, I got married at the age of 21, I think. Yeah, 2014 Alan. After I got married, I didn't know what Instagram was, by the way. I think at that time, not many people were on Instagram. Or maybe they were. I probably just didn't know about it. I knew of the existence of Facebook. That was it. But uh, my partner at the time, she showed me Instagram. And she was like, oh, by the way, look at this couple. She showed me a couple, right? And uh, there would be all these people like asking them questions, relationship advice and so on, yeah? Um, and this couple, they weren't really practicing. They're Muslims, um, but they would sometimes mock people. I remember, for example, mm. there was this uh, 
sister that asked a question about herself uh, falling into zina, fornication or adultery, say, with her brother-in-law, right? And uh, she genuinely was asking a question saying she felt remorse for doing this. How can she rectify it? You know, what she's done and stuff like that, ruining her sister's life. So this couple, they were laughing and mocking, you know, the sister. And uh, my partner at the time, she saw this and she was like, um, if I had some sort of a presence online, uh, maybe I could take the knowledge that you have. Yeah. And uh, I could probably help people and advise them in the right way. She saw through like, say, for example, Rukia, and uh, there'll be a lot of people who would have, say, for example, communication issues or uh, understanding issues between themselves, spouses, right? And often it's not a Rukia issue. So I'd give them advices from what I knew and from what I grew up mm -hmm. learning, reading books, Islamic books, studies and so on. So she was like, well, maybe I should have some sort of presence. At the time she had like, I don't know, 200 followers or something like this. I didn't really understand it. I said, let me think about it. Because... Um, at the time, uh, the way I was, though I still probably am, a very traditional in the sense that the wife, she asks permission from the husband before she does something, yeah? That's just our culture. I don't know, probably same case. Really. Same, yeah. Yeah, yeah, same. So she she asked me, I thought about it, I did a stakhara, and I was like, well, yeah, I don't see the problem with it if you're going to help people and so on, yeah? And at the time, I still don't understand social media properly at the time. So she posts, I think, once she... I normally used to recite Emne, right? Say, for example, Surakaf on a Friday. I think she recorded me reciting months and she uploaded it. And that's how she got famous. I think they went up to like 18,000 followers. So it was followers. her account that you started off with? It was her account. Uh, yeah. Has it always, is it still her account? The the account that we know, Umm Abdullah, and, and was it Abul Hassanat as well? No, my name was not on there. So okay. she, she was just known as Umm Abdullah. Okay. Umm Abdullah is her kunya. Okay. My first son's name is Abdullah. Yeah. Right, so she's the mother of Abdullah. Okay, so that's what it was. Okay, for a long time. Okay, for about a year or two, maybe. Yeah. So she'd upload like say content. She'd upload say for example pictures and stuff like that. Just just normal advices and stuff mm -hmm. and the captions. Uh, yeah, just sharing a bit of knowledge here and there or incidents from. Okay, online. so obviously the world knows you as um, as someone who's kind of tried to kind of or or maybe i don't know if it was real or yeah, if it yeah. was kind of a reverse engineered situation yeah. where where you portrayed um polygamy you, you, to be yeah. to be quite yeah, yeah. you know f i mean a lot of people were kind of a lot of brothers i know i know for a fact they were like yeah 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 go on go on like go show more show more like educate the women obviously that's you kind of frame that picture polygamy yeah, yeah. and you know yeah, all of yeah. that is, 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 is you know you know that actually came about quite a little bit later a little bit later okay so before it, that it was just Umar Abdullah was, and you yeah, yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just yeah 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 so um do you still stand by like you know all of that like you know the polygamy stuff even you know you don't even have to filter questions but yeah okay. polygamy yeah my, my right, on, so. you can <laughs> say it directly <laughs> do you do you still stand by yeah your views and what you've done with the polygamy and, you know, is it Sarah and Um Abdullah? Is, is that what you still believe in? About polygamy? Yeah. Polygamy is a part of the religion itself. And again, a part of uh, nature throughout history. Okay. Right? Men have always practiced polygamy. So I still stand by the practice of polygamy. I support polygamy. Um, 
But again, say, for example, in this country, right, somebody says, oh, uh, marriage to more than one person is illegal. Well, in the sense that by their definition of registering two marriages, mm. yeah, but for us, it's, it's a verbal contract as Muslims, right? I still stand by it. I would practice polygamy and I'd encourage other people who are capable to practice polygamy. So you, you added the word capable. What, what is capable? What does that mean? Like, you know, what, what is capability? Capability, capability I would say, um, generally, what comes to mind is uh, being able to look after and understand women, more than one, right? So say, for example, if you've got the financial means, or even if you don't have the financial means, there are many of the Sahaba who had uh, multiple wives, right? They would have been very poor. Say, for example, Ali bin Abi Talib. He said that when I married Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ, I used to sleep on the same mat in the night that during the day my, my horse used to feed on during the, during the day. So that's how poor he was. After, obviously, Fatima anha passed away, he married four times, right? So, um, I mean, how does, whether it, you're how, poor or rich, how does it kind of yeah. like into the world we live in now come on like you know it's a very different world um the the one that we live in now where where i guess even it's, it's quite difficult like how to have that conversation to have that conversation to have the conversation is difficult only because um some people they see it as a sort of like a stigma right for us as Muslims, we uh, have been honored by Islam. Umar al Khattab, he said, Allah gave us honor through Islam. If we seek honor through anything else other than that, then Allah will humiliate us. So say for example, right, if I go to a wedding, yeah, and uh, something as simple as using my hands to eat, I, I eat with my hands naturally because I grew up eating like that, right? I don't feel shy because of it. And in addition to that, it's sunnah as well, right? So if somebody has the intention that something's sunnah or something's good, uh, you shouldn't feel shy about it, yeah? So um, again, the same applies with polygamy. It's not something that I shy away from. And I don't think any Muslim should shy away from it. If somebody asks you, you know, does your religion permit this? Yes, you should say it proudly, right? Allah permits it for you to discourage it. A lot of women, because of their personal interests, they'll discourage it. But again, look, it's very interesting to have this conversation, right? Because a lot of sisters, including one of my ex-wives, yeah? She said to me, she would have preferred for me to have partners outside of marriage, multiple partners outside of marriage, than to have one other wife, right? That, that's very strange because of the culture that people grew up in, right? For a lot of men, for a lot of people, say you have one wife, yeah? Allah knows the nature of men. Allah knows the nature of women. And hence, he permitted men to have more than one wife, right? And that's not limited or restricted to that time period. Because say, for example, in the, in the sharia that came before the Prophet ﷺ, in, uh, say, for example, uh, Prophet Sulaiman, he had many more wives, right? Um, and where something needs to be abrogated, Allah abrogated it and gave us New rules. So, for example, sajda wasn't permitted uh, after our sharia came. Professor Sam came with rules here. Yeah? You can't do sajda to anyone. But before that, you could do sajda of honor 
to elders, say for example, right? You know in Bangladesh we have like Columbus or something. Pe- people they 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 do salam like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh yeah, things like that they were they were permitted before. So look <laughs> and polygamy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Did you do it because it, it stirred a lot of social media kind of it, it, it made a lot of kind of controversy on social media or did you genuinely genuinely deep down in your heart believe that was the right that was the thing that you wanted to do and you wanted to do it okay so since i was young right mm-hmm. i told you yeah i grew up reading books yeah so where say somebody who has grown up watching things like bollywood films yeah they'd see one man one woman right that's what they look up to what we see and what we hear has an effect on what we like and how we become as a person how we develop so what i always saw from the books that i read every great man that i read about he's got multiple wives 7 8 9 right some of the sahaba they had to divorce some of their wives and only keep four in the end right um so from in my mind from a young age i always wanted to have more than one wife i always want to have four wives and many children because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he encouraged and he said get married and have many children because i want to be proud of your great numbers on the day of judgment so that was always my understanding i i might have matured uh, in that sort of like aspect from a really young age from the age of 16 i wanted to get married yeah and uh, had it been possible at the time alhamdulillah it wasn't possible uh, yeah, i would have gotten married even even younger So you did it because you you wanted to do it not because it made um social made it a social media sensation you know just showcasing no, uh, no that would be that would be very strange just for the sake of showing social media now anyone who knows me from say madrasa and so on they'd know that you know that's it's always been the wanted. case that I always wanted yeah many wives many children So how did that conversation the, go down like you know with your first wife at that time That conversation occurred before we we actually got married So myself, right? The other thing which a lot of people might not know, um, and I don't know if you even if you know actually. I don't know. I've I've been in prison. I've been in Belmarsh, prison for terrorism. See, charges. I didn't know that part. I only know about your obviously polygamy stuff. Yeah, I've yeah. seen on social media, and then of course um, the donation stuff, which later yeah, yeah, surfaced, yeah. which we will discuss in a yeah, bit, yeah. and then the 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 rookie aspect. These are the three things mm. that I knew you by. And I saw you guys first with a van yeah. behind a mosque. Yeah. yeah, at the time I was like 16. Yeah, and then I was selling a few perfumes. You know those small three mil bottles, yeah, yeah, yeah. just outside the mosque, right? At the age of 16. So afterwards, I saw you guys in the market, and then move up to a shop. I was like, wow, I could follow those steps and become something. So big why as didn't well. you follow it? Follow those um, steps, man. I did to an extent, but then I, I guess I got distracted. Say, for example, so we started wholesaling and stuff as well. Mm. I, I don't know if no, you, I don't know about the wholesale wholesaling yeah. stuff. Uh, so we were wholesaling and stuff like that, yeah, from home. I had about, I ordered at the time, I was about eighteen, nineteen. Mm-hmm. I ordered about seventy thousand. Uh, three mil bottles wow and my dad was like it was all the way up to the ceiling in my bedroom my dad was like either take the perfumes out or leave yourself <laughs> right <laughs> that's how it was at the time i had faith in myself that okay i could make this go really big and we did we managed to sell about 40,000 of them wow right and about 30,000 of them got destroyed that's a other story wow so look We've discussed the polygamy stuff. You wanted to do it because you you felt or you believe you yeah. still believe that is the the, the that's the Islamic 
standpoint when yeah. it comes to if you want to do it then you should I mean, be able the, to do it the, the new <laughs> do you know what you're trying to you're you're do you know what i'll tell you what my position is with with with, with yeah, polygamy yeah. and and it's it's not an islamic one it's more of a logistical uh, pra- okay, practical yeah. situation sure, sure, sure. my position is yeah, yeah me and my wife we we kind of met very in, in yeah. before i mean when the business days were very you know early, early days yeah, yeah and i feel like i would be turning my back on my wife if i was to say you know what i need to go and get married to someone else or have another wife uh, i never thought from an islamic point of view i i i feel i don't have to because i'm quite happy content yeah, with, yeah, with what i have yeah, yeah. alhamdulillah two kids from the know. islamic point of view we agree then it's it's allowed it's valid whoever wants to practice it they can do so and whoever doesn't that's also fine It's not like you have to get married more than once. Of course, I'm not going to disagree with yeah, with, yeah. The, with the with the books and you yeah, know the, the Islamic teaching. Yeah, but yeah. from a logistical point of view, yeah, yeah. do for I yourself. have the means to do it? Maybe, but do I want to do it? 100% no. You have the means. <laughs> <laughs> do I want to do it? No, because I, I'm I'm happy, I'm content, and yeah. and I don't see any need to. You, to you do can it. you can double your contentment. I'll tell you one thing. That was one of the reasons, right, why I got married again. Mm-hmm. So from the understanding that, say, for example, I told you, right, I come from a background where in my teenage years, I was introduced to a whole different side of uh, Islam where I ended up in prison because of terrorism charges, right? Um, so me and my wife at the time, right, we, we were of a similar understanding in terms of traditions in Islam. So even though her heart might not have liked polygamy, she wouldn't object to it. She knew she couldn't. Not because of me, because of her beliefs in Or Islam. is it because you are very, I don't know, when you, you are Articulate. very persuasive and you are kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe you're narcissistic, maybe uh, you're that, manipulative, maybe, maybe you, you coerced it. her into something. I that, don't know. That's, that's a good question. Now, I'll tell you one thing, right? Uh, From what she's mentioned, yeah, I was very naive, young, and stuff like that. Yeah, I was 21 when I married her. She was 23. So most of what I learned of speaking to people, understanding people, and uh, um, being a people's person, it was mm-hmm. all from her. You understand? All of those things, they were advice from her. She was like my mentor in public. Seriously, you took like a lot of advice from her? From her. Did you not have your own kind of... I I mean, you said you were quite developed. In I, your I was developed in my understanding Islamically mm-hmm. and traditionally, but living in the real world, we all know it's, it's different. Yeah. So from my side, right, I grew up in a way that you always have to think good of everyone, right? You don't question someone's intentions. Mm-hmm. It's called husn al-dhan, yeah. right? Thinking the best of people. Yeah. Yeah. But her, she was always like, mm, you got to see the intention behind what this person has done. Perhaps they want something from this. She would always question people's intentions and stuff like that. Do you understand? At the beginning, I started off as very traditionally Islamic. Yeah. So, you know, always thinking the best of people, helping people where possible. If I found someone homeless, generally, you know, you wouldn't take them home and stuff. But I was, I was living in the books, mm-hmm. right? So back in the days when somebody saw someone in need of help, I'm going to help you. Say, for example, in... Uh, we lived by this 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 hadith and this verse that we knew yeah um wa yu'thiruna ala usulihim walaw kana bihim khasasa you know from surah hashr yeah um and they preferred their brethren 
over themselves, even though they were in great need of it. Mm -hmm. Now that verse was revealed because of a couple that hosted the guests of the Messenger Sallallahu He had some guests and he said to his wives, he sent a message out, can any of you host them today? And they all said, we don't have enough food. So this man from the companions of the Prophet Sallallahu he said, I'll host them, Ya Rasulullah. So he took them, right? And he said to his wife, have we got enough food? She said, we've only got enough for us and the kids. So they said, you know what? Turn off the lights um, and uh, put some uh, little pebbles in the cooking pot and heat it mm -hmm. while saying to the children, the food is being prepared so that they fall asleep. So they fell asleep, right? And then they cooked the food to feed the guests. So even though they had their children to feed, they preferred their brethren. Mm -hmm. So that's why Allah revealed that verse. And it was said that Allah heard about the couple who did that, right? In the hadith it mentions, and he laughed at them. And whenever Allah laughs at anyone, there is no hisab for them in the hereafter. There's no accountability for them. Mm -hmm. So just because of that small act, when it was needed, that's what they received. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of things we would remind each other about. But how does that then relate to polygamy though? So polygamy, again... If, say, she, if she had the yeah, choice, yeah, yeah. if she had a f like free will and free choice, do you think she would say yes to Sister Sarah? Let's... Um, Imagine you, you said nothing to mm -hmm. her and you just said, listen, I want to get married again. Let's, let's get to that then. After one small point, yeah? Firstly, of what she's mentioned to Menk was that she brought a sister to me saying, would you like to marry her? Well, she, she your yeah, wife you, brought, brought... If you refer back to something that she said on a live with Menk, yeah? She probably now wants to retract it because later on she was like, oh, I want it taken down, right? She stabbed herself quite a few times, you know, with what she said. So she said, I brought a sister to him. She wanted me to marry again, yeah? And with Sarah, that specific situation... She's the one who suggested it. Would you like to guess why? Why? Remember when I said to you just a little earlier, yeah? You can double your contentment, mm. right? And you were saying about business and stuff like that. You guys started in the beginning, yeah? That's literally how we were. But what she thought is outsource, hand over responsibilities, yeah? Mm. So she thought, well, Sarah was working for us, right? she would deal with a lot of the messages and booking appointments mm -hmm. and things like this. Uh, she'd take on some responsibility in terms of looking after the kids, reading books to them when they're about to go to sleep and stuff like that. Um, so for her, it was a form of convenience, right? So she suggested, and wallahi al-azim, I'll say this without any hesitation. She said at the time, marry her before somebody else does. Marry her so, before so, somebody so else does. So who's coercing who here? I mean, nobody's coerced anyone. We were partners, mm -hmm. just as you consider. So why would like? So it was more like a suggestion thing. So whenever we had something come up in our lives, yeah, mm -hmm. it would always be like mutual consultation. What do you think is the best decision forward about this situation? What should we do? So is was what she you think, stitching you up, or did she really want more? From, from life, more, not, more, not, more, more not, contentment, or what, was, what, what not, did she want? Not more for the sake of it. So say, for example, if she thought, well, this would be good for our family life, our business, our work life, 
If this is going to bring us convenience, yeah, sure, why not? And by that time, we're, we're mostly platonic, by the way. Me and my first wife, yeah? So for us, it was more like, um, what would be in the best interest of our family, right? So for example, another sister that I married at one stage, uh, when we spoke to the sister, she spoke to her first, actually. Again, the one before that, yeah? She found out, well, she knows five languages, she can help teach the kids and stuff. She mentioned all those things during the talking stages to the sister. Interview. Yeah. <laughs> so she was conducting the interview. Mm. Uh, would you be happy, you know, looking after kids sometimes here and there if we're going abroad and stuff like that? Uh, would you be able to teach them homeschool? She was a hafidha. She was like, oh, that's good. You know, she can teach them Quran as well. She understood Arabic. So from our perspective, it was like, okay, it's going to add and increase in terms of, say, our progress, dunya-wise and deen-wise, right? So for us, it was, yeah, just increasing our family mm. at the time. But the time, did it, yeah. though, ultimately, did it, did it do what it was supposed to do? At the time, it did, yeah. But... At the time, it did. Right now, she's of a different perspective. And I've also developed in terms of my understanding. Say, for example, where I saw myself doing content with my wife online and stuff like this, yeah? Now, when I look back at it, I don't have that same feeling. I don't feel proud of that kind of content. And I wouldn't do that kind of content again, right? I might have inspired a lot of young people, say, from having uh, relationships outside of marriage, yeah? You have inspired? I mean... At the time, there was a lot of people, youngsters, yeah? Say, for example, India, Indonesia, and so on. You will still probably see videos of that kind of stuff where they feel very inclined towards marriage as opposed to having relationships outside of marriage because I've seen like nice mm. family content, right? At the time, that would have been my perspective. Now I see it as it's very cringe, right? That kind of content and stuff. And again, uh, people, like a lot of people mentioned at the time, other people seeing your wife like that and knowing her personality and things like that in public, it's not something that I agree with. So my perspective and opinion on that has changed since, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I am where I am and I'm comfortable and so content. Ultimately, obviously, normally it takes two to tango, right? You must have had, obviously, contribution. It can't be just Umar Abdullah just doing all by herself. She needed you doing what? to play a part in terms of social media, oh, social know, media, social I, media I, I, contents. And I, obviously, yeah. did you not feel like, you know what, I have a responsibility before this content goes yeah. out because so many people are going to do so many things. And as you've just said, you know, people have done. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as time went by, say for, we, she started in about 2015, 2014, I don't know which year, right? As time went by, I started to play more of a role, right? So in like putting up captions and stuff, she'd check if she's got everything right in terms of Islamically, mm -hmm. actually, yeah? I'd approve of it and stuff like that, yeah? I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's all right for you to say Islamically because she didn't grow up with Islamic education. She had a whole different background whereas I had an Islamic background, yeah? Um, so I started to play more of a part like a director, Okay. So to speak, yeah? So I'd be like, uh, well, because she didn't have Islamic knowledge, I could say, you can say such and such. She had a BBC interview where, not interview, uh, she was on radio with BBC, right? And uh, again, she was, she was telling me she's very nervous 
right? You can just whisper into my ear whatever I want to say. And I did that. So, um, yeah, I, pl- I played like a director kind of role, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or say, for example, when it came to, she did a video about, I don't know if you remember that time, Boris Johnson, you mentioned Nikhaviza, oh, Nikhaviza yeah, yeah. letterboxes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So that video, right? I, I think I still have it unedited. So every sentence I would say, she would repeat, I would say, she would repeat, and we'd cut out me. Okay. Do you understand? Yeah. You can see, obviously. The- hey, guys, I hope you have been enjoying today's episode. Uh, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. As it stands today, we're just over 2,000 subscribers, and our next goal is to get to 5,000 subscribers. Please help us get to that 5,000 subscribers. Now let's get back straight into the show. So you because must have obviously become quite good at social media by yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. Like you kind of knew like what, what yeah, the yeah. people wanted, what the kind of the, the public wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you kind of, you must have obviously put out there what you felt would do good from an algorithm point of view, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that obviously plays a part. That obviously plays a part, especially as, especially as I'm starting to say become less and less practicing. Say, for example, as I'm, uh, say, having, alhamdulillah, I'm not at that point anymore. Um, as I'm having doubts, say, for example, about my own faith and religion. Mm. And it's not an easy thing for me, mind you, because my whole upbringing is fully Islamic. My life is Islam. I was, what people say they would do now for Gaza, right? And how they express their anger online in being, say, for, I wouldn't want to call them keyboard warriors. Everyone's trying to do what they're they're able to, right? But at the time, I was a person who would be willing to give my life. Not that I would go towards giving my life. I wasn't scared of the police, terrorism, nothing like that. I was very vocal in my uh, objection towards foreign policy of the UK and so on. Yeah. Fearless. So what year are we talking about? You know, this is in the year about twenty between two thousand and ten mm-hmm. from the Arab uprising, all the way up until about 2015, 2016 when ISIS and stuff came out. I was very vocal against ISIS when they came out and stuff, but I was more inclined towards another uh, jihadi group that existed. Before how did you then. come across this jihadi group? Like, how did it come about? So since the age of about 16, 17, when I started practicing a little bit, I used to attend classes here and there. And uh, they used to highlight the plight of Muslims, say, for example, not only in Gaza, not only what's popular, right? So as we know, obviously, sorry about that. As we know, there's Muslims suffering in Yingyang province in China. Many people, we might not talk about it. Or say, for example, we're doing Qunut. Mm-hmm. The dua after Fajr, yeah? Um, for Gaza now. Us, we would do Qunut all the time, at the time, because we understood and knew there are people, there are one million innocent people that died in Iraq from the war that occurred in 2004. They used, those, they used some chemicals that left all those children deformed. If you just go on Google and Google it, you'll see all those results. So it's not that only when it was popular, I was, you know, against these things. My whole upbringing in life was about the ummah and how to support the ummah as a whole. I was willing to give my life. So for me, when I was having doubts about the deen, it was very heavy on me. It was very heavy because I was questioning myself like, okay, so everything that I've believed in up until this point, could it be the case that it's not true? And if it is, did I just waste my whole life? What can I take from this? I had a lot of questions, as you would. A lot of people 
they go through life changing uh, perspectives, opinions and so on. For me, it was a huge change from one side, like being fully Islamic, fully Islamic upbringing, to like, okay, does God exist? If he does, um, to what extent does he have control over our lives? What so, does he want from us? Uh, is Islam the truth? Do I happen to be born into the truth? So I saw myself as, at the time, say for example, how Ibrahim alayhi salam, mm-hmm. yeah? He was like, oh, could the sun be my Lord? Could the moon be my Lord? No. You know, when it settled, uh, he said, no. And then he later on came to the conclusion that Allah is my only Lord. Right? So I was going through this whole phase in my own life where I have to think, what is the truth? Because I want to follow the truth. I don't want to just follow something because I was born into it. Just because my parents were born Muslim, now say I was born Christian. Should I now think that just because I was born Christian, it is the truth? Where would we be if we don't question what we hear and see? Say, for example, um, Ibn al-Haytham, right? One of the great Islamic scholars. Yeah? Uh, he said, for a person, if, if they are seeking the truth, you must, make, you must make it a principle that you make yourself the enemy of everything you read. You have to be able to question things for you to develop in your mind. So, terrorism, terrorism. When did, where did that begin? Like, uh, what year and, and where, so, at what point did you think, you know what, I'm going to like, and I'm not going to follow the law of the land and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Matters. See, see again, that's uh, the details of it. Uh, I'm willing to discuss. I'll get into it slowly. I'll tell mm-hmm. you where it began. Um, again, by the way, I'm writing a book on this. Okay. My journey through terrorism and stuff, yeah? So when I was about, uh, when I was, say, about 10, 11 years old, yeah? I think 2001, Twin Towers were hit. I was in Bangladesh. And uh, around the time... Were you I, still, like, kind of in Bangladesh? You weren't... I was in Bangladesh, yeah. I was living okay. in Bangladesh. okay, okay. Yeah, I came here and then I got citizenship after a few okay. years. Okay. So I was in Bangladesh. Twin Towers were struck. Uh, I heard people saying, oh, they're saying it's Bin Laden, right? And I thought Bin Laden is a country at the time. <laughs> I'm a young kid, right? Mm. So uh, later on, there was uh, like uh, madrasas and mosques and stuff like that where I think they were handing out free cassettes and uh, stuff like that about... Uh, about the Taliban and jihad and Bin Laden and stuff like this, because it's all kicking off around that time, Afghanistan and you know, and from me it's like, well, Muslims against the West, right? Mm-hmm. They invaded uh, Afghanistan, and uh, my mother she used to read magazines, Parwana, I think it's called Parwana or something like that, and that that, mag- that Islamic magazine uh, used to they used to highlight stuff like happening in Chechnya in 1995. Um, I know some people who actually fought in uh, Bosnia, Chechnya and so on. At the time, you know, they were coming into Muslim houses, mm. Russians, and they would take children, put them inside a meat grinder, and you'd have to see your child come out of a meat grinder. They'd rape uh, sisters in front of their husbands and stuff like that. A lot of these things a lot of people don't know. But I grew up knowing and understanding all of these things, right? So I had a lot of... Um, did you trust those sources though? Like, you know, you know the sources of information. Did you, yeah. did you verify that it's 
it's a legitimate source and it's, it's from a accurate kid. source. Okay. I'm a 10 year old kid, but so do you, do all you, I know, all I, wait, there isn't, there isn't anything to verify because the whole world knows mm. about, at the time mm. about the plight in Chechnya. Okay. Everyone knows there are children, mm. women, Muslims getting mm. killed and butchered mm. in Chechnya. I don't know if this generation's going to know, but mm. everyone here. Well, now they know about Gaza. They know yeah, about yeah, yeah, Gaza yeah, yeah. and Palestine. Know about Gaza. It, was, it was a similar situation. If you Google it, mm-hmm. you'll find it. About, I think, 1990s, yeah. there was Bosnia. Yeah. There was Chechnya. Yeah. Uh, massacred. Muslims were massacred, right? And the jihad at that time, it was supported by the British, by the way. They allowed Mujahideen to go from this country, fight, come back. And there are still some brothers you'll probably see in the mosques and normal mosques. They went, they came back and stuff like that. Well, some of them, they probably work for them. See, this is, this is yeah. crazy, man. How this stuff works, you know, work, you stuff, know yeah. when, when, when they support ISIS, when they don't support ISIS, when they support Saddam, when they don't support Saddam, yeah, yeah. when they support Taliban, when they don't support yeah, Taliban, it's this whole geopolitical yeah, yeah. thing. It's, it's very complex. It's, it's very complex. It's very complex for me now because yeah. I'm seeing it as a grown man who's 31 years old now. At the time, for me, it was a basic understanding that I wouldn't question the hidden intentions behind any political party or group, I'd see it as, okay, they're attacking Muslims. Uh, it's upon us, Muslims, to defend our own lands. Now, whether I'm Bengali or Pakistani or Afghani or Arab, if they're attacking the Muslim land, it's a Muslim land. We see that as our land. That's the perspective. But does Muslim land exist, though? Is there Muslim land? Is there any Muslim land in the, the world? In the, in the technical sense of uh, an Islamic state? Yeah. Currently, we don't have an Islamic state as Muslims, but uh, in terms of, say, pop, uh, Muslim-populated countries in Bangladesh, I don't know, what's the population, about 95%? I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very the fourth largest, I think, Muslim but, yeah. population. But now, say, for example, right, our villages, yeah, now they're attacked by a foreign force. We'd expect ourselves to defend it. That's our uncles and aunts okay. back home, right? And you would expect other people who are your friends, or anyone who wants to stand for justice to stand with you, just as the people of Gaza so, would. So did your parents try and stop you from, from these thinking? Did you kind of um, evaluate those thoughts with your parents so, and say, look, this, this is the phase I'm going through, these are my understandings? No, no, no. This, this, or they didn't know anything about it? So this I'm talking about when I was, when I was very young, okay. right? This isn't much exposure. This okay. is just basic knowing that... Uh, so most, you were just angry inside, like, you know, I'm not... I'm not I, wasn't, I, was, I was angry at those kind of things, and anyone should be. Yeah. Even at this age, I'm not as angry as I would have been at that time. Say, for example, when I was 16, 17, 18, mm-hmm. uh, I've got responsibilities and so on. Not to say that that's a good thing. That's actually a bad thing for your heart to be somewhat dead. Right. So for me, seeing uh, children in Gaza and so on nowadays, only because it's highlighted in my, say, explore page, I'm seeing it. Otherwise, would I go out of my way to go and search if anything like that is happening? Or would anyone else do that? Like, it's, it's, it's a problem with us. So we'd see something, feel sad about it, next reel. Yeah. Some yeah. life hack, right? We'd forget about it. So yeah, not, not, techni- not necessarily proud of So how of did this. you end up in jail though? So this is what happened. I was uh, an imam in the Al-Ansar Center. I guess they might have been following me around a bit because a lot of the people that I was around, uh, some of them, they had very What group views. was it, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, there was, it wasn't any specific group, but there was a lot of ex, ex-Al-Mahajirin members. Okay. And maybe Hizb tahrir people. Okay. I, I wasn't with Hizb tahrir or Al-Mahajirin themselves. But uh, I guess 
I guess I had a lot of uh, Al-Qaeda propaganda thrown towards me. Do you understand? And I'm at the and time... And what age is that? 16, 17. 16. Okay. Yeah. So, look, going from Bangladesh here, yeah, I came to this country, yeah? Then I'm just, you know, uh, learning English, going to school and stuff like that, yeah? Um, blending in with the culture. Uh, went to Madrasa. Um, came out of Madrasa. Then you know, started attending these classes where some of them would be like underground, yeah? In a basement all the way in, um, not all the way, it's just in Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. It was in a basement. It was packed. Like a room maybe double the size of this, there wouldn't be an inch for you to move. They'd do you think now, th now that you look back, do you think that was a propaganda as well? That, that those circles themselves? Those circles? Yeah. Well, yeah, I got to find out. And th that's why I was writing a book about it. Okay. Uh, so say for example, my journey there in there first, very innocent. Yeah, sixteen year old kid. So you were you were were you going for Islamic talk or something or to Islamic talks and uh, in a lot of those Islamic talks, uh, plight of Muslims and uh, their suffering would be highlighted. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so, but uh, how to go about helping them? That's not something that they would publicly tell you or advise you pri privately mm -hmm. about. That's something that you'd go and do yourself. Like, uh, I'm not saying I was a part of those people who would, you know, go, go and blow up buses or something like that. Yeah? That's not something that I've ever agreed with anyway. Or killing of women and children. Indiscriminate killing. I don't agree with those things. And again, uh, when I went into prison, I was actually exposed to people who have similar views to what the Jews say now. I don't know if you see some videos of Israeli citizens saying uh, the children in Gaza, they deserve to be killed because they're going to grow up to become soldiers anyway. Mm. Have you seen those kind of videos? Yeah. So like that, I came across a lot of people inside prison who would say they're serving life for terrorism. One guy, he wanted to poison the handle of cars all around Birmingham so he could kill the kuffar. I didn't agree with him, right? So we had a few disagreements and stuff and he was calling me a spy sent in by the MI5 and stuff like that uh, because he was like, you can kill Jewish children indiscriminately. You can kill them because they're going to grow up to become soldiers anyway. So those are the kind of people that I came across inside prison. Yeah, a lot of crazy beliefs. Crazy. So what people. did what did they do you for though? Like, how did you? What how did they did, do me for? Yeah, so how was, did they come was, about? Like, okay, Hasanat, so you're under arrest. Like I think that. I think they were monitoring me and stuff. Okay. And at the time, I don't know in your circle, but around the circles that I was in, have you heard of Anwar Al Awlaki? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He used to do talks on Hereafter, yeah, yeah, yeah. series and stuff like that. And then when he moved to Yemen mm -hmm. and joined Al-Qaeda, um, he was saying things like, you know, attack the West and stuff like this. Um, and me, in my teenage years, I heard Hereafter series, talks about Jannah, Jahannam, stuff like that of Awlaki. So when he was saying these things, um, I they published a magazine, that's, that certain group, yeah? So I didn't know, nor did anyone else who had the magazine. There's a lot of white people that went mm. into the prison for that magazine as well. They were talking about on the radio shows and so on. Uh, it was called Inspire Magazine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was Section 58 of the Terrorism Act, meaning being in possession of anything which is likely to be useful to a terrorist, you're going to serve up to 10 years. They never give you 10 years anyway. They give you roughly about... One year or so, with me, they gave me about seven months. And the judge was actually saying how he feels sorry for me that now my record has to be ruined because I was in possession of that magazine, that digital magazine. I thought, bro, like, <laughs> you went and done something, you know. No, 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 I, di I didn't do anything. No, no, no. So again, misunderstanding, yeah. But 
having said that, that doesn't mean that, uh, oh, in their eyes, regardless, you're still a terrorist. Yeah, That's how the British government would generally view you. You're always a potential terrorist. If there isn't a terrorist, they'll make one up. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have like family members, cousins, friends that might have been falsely imprisoned for, say, terrorism charges or, you know, you might have experienced some form of that discrimination. Uh, and fortunately for me, alhamdulillah, it's good that I went into prison for seven months because I got to develop as a person. I learned by seeing we had a big library there. So, we so had w- you went into prison what year? 2000 and... 2011, October. Okay, and you so were there for about seven months. Seven months, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so we had, we had access to a lot of books, uh, Islamic education, uh, Arabic lessons. It's very comfortable in there, bro. <laughs> you go in there. At first, when I got arrested, I thought, that's it, man. No one's going to see me again. I'm going Guantanamo. That's it. That was my understanding. But the thing is, they kept me seven days inside Paddington Police Station, yeah? They treat, they treat you really nice. The British, they're very clever. Because their understanding is, well, if we can get him to work with us, then is yeah. Is that what, what it was better. kind of leading to at some point? So again, yeah, a few times they, they offer you things like this. Oh, Mohammed, you're going to serve a very long time. You do know that. But if you can, they'll say it indirectly. If you can help us, we can help you, you know. And they'd come on visits, prison visits and be like that, yeah. Wow. But uh, as I was saying, going back to what I was saying, yeah, I had access to word for word Quran. So my time inside a prison cell... I use that time to perfect my Arabic, to understand Fusha properly, right? And that would later on serve me towards my Ruqya as well. That benefited mm-hmm. me. Because a lot of Raqis you might come across, not to put them down, they might not understand the Arabic language, right? Yeah. But I understood the Arabic language because I learned it within that time that I served in prison. Otherwise, I might have been out, I don't know, wasting my time. Or so you came out? So <laughs> I came out and uh, inside prison... From from the from what the brothers other brothers that were in there for, what they observed, like, I'm a well-mannered young man. He said, uh, "You come across very naughty." I come across. Yeah, you come naughty. across very naughty. No, yeah. may, maybe slightly cheeky in my uh, personality that people might have viewed throughout that social media period. Time. Yeah. But generally, I'm very, I'm very responsible. Uh, I try to prioritize on my manners and so on yeah that's something that i've always been fascinated mm-hmm. with i try and you know teach my younger brothers teach my family anyone around me manners is very important because you know always always grew up learning that through having good manners Prophet mm-hmm. he said by having good manners a person can reach the status of someone who prays all night and fasts all day and there is nothing that weighs better on the scales or more on the scales of allah than good manners so for a person who has good manners, it's like they're constantly doing jihad, mm. right? So that, that's something that... So we've spoken about me. your early life. We've spoken about the, well, supposed terrorism. We've, we've been everywhere. So, supposed terrorism. Yeah. Now, obviously, now you say to me it was just a magazine that you were in position of, and yeah, for that, that reason, you got yeah. put in jail. You can check it, actually, on Google. If you type in my name, it comes up. Okay. And then uh, we spoke about Umar Abdullah. We spoke about... And then you... Sarah. Sarah happened. You mm. know, the marriage happened. Yeah. And, and that's what the world saw. That's what we saw from yeah, social yeah, that's media. That's blew up even more. Yeah. Yes. And then I guess um, that's what was... The, I think that was your yeah. kind of optimum, I guess, the peak of your social media presence. Yeah, yeah. The and then and then came about, he's a thief. He stole charity Exactly. Money. So yeah, that's yeah. what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, yeah. So... 
you went all the way up there yeah, yeah. and maybe maybe if you kind of carried on on that basis yeah, yeah. maybe god knows where you'd have been now I, i'm glad i didn't i'm glad i didn't because at the time at the time i guess my ego might have been quite inflated and allah does everything for a reason right so do you, you think because of your ego allah wanted to teach you a lesson that okay you know you're getting a bit too big for your boots now allah out of his kindness does a lot of uh, lot of things that from the apparent might seem like it's bad for you but in reality it's good for you like allah says in the quran and uh, something might happen uh, it's good for you and you deem it to be bad and again vice versa so so okay did you go into jail again after uh, after this whole charity situation after this whole charity situation what happened was so in june 12th 2019 is the last time i saw my two sons right mm-hmm. uh, my daughter she was she wasn't born yet right my wife at the time she was pregnant yeah so my daughter was born uh, after the social media uh, s- scandal so to speak mm-hmm. people falsely accusing me of uh, robbing charity money yeah not knowing how to do ruqya or doing fake ruqya mm-hmm. whatever it is yeah all of these stuff uh, occurred and then my daughter was born during this period so it was very stressful for us right mm. at the time for about six months i couldn't walk outside normally my friend said to me you can't walk outside man i'm going to drive you everywhere that's during the whole uh, during donation, the whole scandal. Don- donation scandal yeah yeah pe- people wanted to kill me and stuff i would get attacked on the streets so he was like you're not you're not going to walk outside I'm going to drive you everywhere. So just for my safety. That's my friend from like childhood from from uh, madrasa. Right? Okay, fine. Just to kind of put so in a nutshell, where did the money go? That's wait, wait, that's wait. my that's my kind of what, what we what we forgot. What we forgot. Oh, you just asked a question and I, I was just uh, answering it, yeah? yeah? So you asked about how did it about all going go to down? prison again? Yeah. You said about yeah, going to prison yeah, again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what happened is during this time June 12th 2019 all the way up until about uh November mm-hmm. November was when my daughter was born during this time I have a lot of I had a lot of stress on but mm-hmm. I was coping really well I was very mm-hmm. positive I was like well I'm going to get through this very mm-hmm. easy I've always got faith in myself yeah my health wasn't bad at all yeah then as it came to about September October November I started vomiting constantly yeah well out of the blue yeah yeah I think it must have been something that I ate mm-hmm mackerel or something like that mm. yeah i guess uh, in prison i had that problem as well uh, and then i started vomiting and stuff i started losing weight from weighing like 80 kilos i went down to about 60 kilos every day i was vomiting vomiting couldn't keep anything down and during this time during this time one of my ex-in-laws at the time they were my in-laws uh, which i feel ashamed to say to be honest but uh, they threatened my wife at the time their own daughter their own family yeah saying if you go back to him uh we're going to make up a whole story where everyone's going to corroborate it and we're going to say that you're a danger to the daughter right so that's exactly what they did and obviously as everyone knows social services in this country they're just looking to mm. snatch children it's money for them every little case that they win yeah so any little opportunity they find they'll take it on board so we had that stress on our minds yeah 
And at the time, I was looking after my daughter and uh, wife at the time had an appointment with social services. So they asked her, uh, who did you leave the child with? She said, oh, just a neighbor and a friend. Mm. So that's when they were suspicious, right? Him, he's a danger to her and stuff like that. That's what my ex-in-laws mentioned to the social services. So the police, they were after my daughter at the time. And we were in hiding. We were on the run from the police. Not, not just one police force, three police forces. Counterterrorism, Sussex police, and the Metropolitan Police. And I made them run around everywhere. Because uh, I knew that they, from my experience before, of being inside prison and before that, I knew that they would uh, carry out surveillance and they try and pinpoint my location and stuff. We took out all the sims uh, and what we did, I made people from different countries sign in to my social media accounts. So they would go to different places. I saw later on in the police reports, they assumed I might have been abroad. They didn't know exactly where I was at all. So we also had this... Uh, I also created this system with one of the neighbors. Whenever, uh, whenever the police would come to the house, we created a secret little path where we could just sneak into my neighbor's apartment just so they can't take my daughter away. I'd rather die than give my daughter away. And during this time, uh, we were trying to make arrangements for her to be safe. She's in the best hands with her parents, of course. So every time the police would come, they would come, they would knock on, my brother there, he would open the door. He at the time must might have been about, how old were you, 14, 15? 15, he was about 15, yeah? But he was very sharp already because uh, of all these experiences. So he'd open the door and be like, come in and check, they're not here. So they'd see the push chair, they'd see the baby food. And during this time, mind you, I'm vomiting, I'm, I'm ill. I can't keep anything down, yeah? And uh, so every time they'd come, they'd, they'd, they won't find us until... On one occasion, they came when my stomach bursted open inside and I was mm. bleeding internally, right? Just at that moment, they bursted in. About 26 of them with guns and stuff. So at the time, when that, that was the moment which changed my whole perspective on life itself and made me reevaluate re everything. Because where before that, I thought, Every, we all hope to have a long life, right? Generally, we don't think something's going to happen to us. Cancer, diabetes, health problems. At the time when my, when my stomach bursted open, I thought, this is it. This is the end. This is the end. I ripped my clothes off. I was on the floor, butt naked. There, we had a volunteer there as well. And there was my wife, volunteer. Uh, the police had just come into the house and my daughter. So I handed my daughter over to my, to my wife at the time. I said, go to the neighbor's house so you can be safe, yeah? And I was on the floor naked. They come and find me in that humiliating situation. And uh, I was gasping for air. I couldn't breathe. At the time, I was like, oh Allah, forgive me. Oh Allah, forgive me. I said my shahada and stuff because I thought I was going to die. That was it. That's what struck me back down to ground, right? Humility. So again, Allah does everything for the better. So at that time, they arrested me for, I think, child endangerment. Okay. Or from my previous conviction of being in prison, I had a 10-year notification period where I'd, ha I'd have to inform them every time I go abroad. If I change my name, if I change my address, I'd have to tell them. So they said the apartment we had at the time, mind you, is rented. It's in Canary, not Canary Wharf, Canning Town. Mm -hmm. 
We were paying rent on that uh, and we were putting that up on Airbnb. That's how we were earning our money at the time. Because obviously Rukia went down the drain, yeah. social media down the drain. I had to pick up something else fast. I had to be fast because my out, outgoings are way more than what I'm bringing in. So we started renting out these this apartment. We got it only to rent it out. But the police, because they didn't have any charges on me, they thought, how are we going to limit him? Yeah, They said, restrict him like this. Let's say he breached his notification order and he was living at this address without informing us. So that's why they arrested me. Contrary to what people might have thought about, oh, he got arrested or he went to prison for charity theft or something like that. There was nothing like that. There was no uh, police case for that. Police, they asked us a few questions at the beginning of it and then they left it to the charity commission. I went for full comment interview, you understand? Instead of going no comment. Is that interview like public information or... or, or uh, with the, no, that's... The with finding the, of the interview or, or, no, or the that's, case? That's, that's with the, the findings of the case from the perspective of uh, the charities commission? Yes. That's that's public knowledge, yeah. That's public knowledge. And, uh, well, they mentioned they they the funds were frozen, as I said from the beginning anyway, yeah? They mentioned the funds were frozen. They said about 62,000 pounds of the money was we didn't give full account of it right so again to take you back to where all of this began yeah 2012 2011 i witnessed and saw and heard about the problems that the rohingya muslims face in burma mm -hmm. which a lot of people might not be aware of right and again it's still happening till today we mm -hmm. might just know about gaza Mm -hmm. But we don't know about Burma. Mm -hmm. We should. So I knew about that and I thought, well, when I'm a little older, I want to help the people that don't get any help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Syria is getting the help they need. Gaza everyone knows about. I want to help someone who is like a forgotten victim. Mm -hmm. So at the time I said to my wife, uh, listen, we got, we got all of this money coming in and stuff. Yeah, we're doing Rukia. We're comfortable. We can take a few, two weeks to go and do something good that will, uh, you know, uh, be good for us. So we thought we're going to go for two weeks and uh, help out some Rohingya refugees, hear and understand their stories. Uh, and so we set up a GoFundMe page uh, for about 20,000, I think. So we went there in about August, September mm -hmm. 2017. So as we were there, we went looking for the Rohingya refugees. Mm -hmm. It was difficult to locate them, find them. Finally found them. They said there isn't any sort of like um, uh, violence or anything like mm -hmm. that occurring at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, strange enough, just as they said that, just a few days later, in September 25th uh, or about the 30th, uh, I think somebody blew up. Somebody from either the Rohingya Muslims or someone else blew up a checkpoint of the army in mm -hmm. Burma, Myanmar. So these Burmese people, obviously Myanmar is mostly Buddhists. Mm -hmm. They took their anger out on these innocent Muslims. They started burning their houses, chopping them. Yeah, you can you can see you know all of those things from 2017. That's there. Yeah, we highlighted a lot of that. I was I was very emotional about at that time. My wife at the time she was like man up because I was like crying seeing all of these things and that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So at the time, as we're there, all of this started occurring. Just happened to happen. 
And we see all of these BBC reporters that I normally see on the news and mm. stuff like that coming in. I'm like, oh, what's going on? So we see there's about 400,000 refugees coming in from the Bangladesh border of Myanmar. And uh, the, the refugee camps, it just smelled so bad. It was just packed out. People didn't, people were, people didn't have a roof over their heads, or not even a tent. Everyone was trying to help as much as possible. Mm. Uh, UNICEF, uh, all other major charities and so on, yeah? So we said to ourselves, well, we left one of our sons, and you see on the videos on YouTube, I think, one of the videos is called uh, Bye Bye Abdullah, mm. right? We left our eldest son with my in-laws. We went with the younger one because we thought we're coming out back after mm -hmm. two weeks. But because the situation was so bad, we thought, no, we have to stay much longer. And we didn't want to leave Abdullah with my in-laws any longer because he's a breastfed, chi breastfed mm. child. Both of them were being breastfed mm. at the time. We're very strict on mm. that stuff. So I came back for one day, mm -hmm. withdrew some cash from mm. the GoFundMe. I think about 7,000 they allowed me. I got it from NatWest mm -hmm. in Stratford. That's mm. all they had at the time. Mm. Withdrew it, went back, took my son. Uh, and then we went there, we went to the banks. We told them we did some charity sort of like campaign. They asked, are you a registered charity? We said no, because obviously we just wanted mm. to do, do, do this little thing, mm. which was like, you know, 20,000 pounds target. So again, it went up to 300,000 pounds. Wow. All right. Overwhelming. And all of this coming into my personal account. All of this coming into my personal account. Mind you, I don't have any experience at the time of running a charity, nor did I have the intention of running a charity. This is just a small little campaign we're doing, just as anyone else does. I'm going such and such place, building some wells or whatever it is, yeah? If you guys want to donate, you can. Everyone does that, right? Mm. So, again, now we have to register the charity. We're being told by people in Bangladesh, by people in this country. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, well, let me try and get started on the process. Because the banks, they said you can't withdraw the money unless you are a registered company. Yeah. Because they don't understand crowdfunding back in Bangladesh. Yeah. Anyone who has any doubts, they can go and check for themselves with the Bangladeshi banks whether they allow you to withdraw money that you say you raised for charitable purposes. Yeah. yeah? And obviously, I don't like putting my own country down, but uh, the truth is what it is. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not shy to say it. In our country, as with every country, corruption exists, right? I'm not saying this specific group of uh, people from the army or the government, they were trying to take the money for themselves. But I felt as though, as I've given words to my followers, so to speak, I don't even like using that word, by the way. It's terrible. Audience, mm. let's say, yeah. My audience at the time, I gave them my word. I'm mm. a man of my word. If I told you that I'm going to make sure that money reaches the people in need properly, Right? I'm going to try and stick to my word. I'm not going to just hand it to someone else and try and, and just leave it. Because I don't know what could happen. And a lot of people said, oh, a lot of what's been donated mm. is being misused or being resold by the army. So there's that doubt mm. in my head. I can't verify. But what I can verify is if I give it to you by my hand. Right? A lot of the videos we recorded, me and my wife at the time, of us... So Of us secretly handing money to say, for example, women that were alone mm. or elderly people 
because they were a lot of people they were coming for rounds of taking charity but men would be able to come twice three times okay. but the weak ones they're left on the side so we try and secretly give them money but as soon as you get money out it's gonna get snatched yeah. from your hand yeah. they're very desperate people they need help they need food they haven't gotten food they've been walking seven days we walked that journey for half a day we were exhausted mind you and we've got our children with us as well two of our children a lot of people that went there they might have gone there for one week two weeks we were there three months my sons they had mosquito bites everywhere right uh, yeah, we, we we became ill and stuff, staying around there. But we wanted to make sure that the money reaches the people. So what happens is, uh, I asked around. I spoke to this brother who runs a charity called Poriborton Chai. Mm. We want development. Mm. That's what it means. In Dhaka. Yeah? I asked him, how do you register a charity? Can you help me out? And so on. He was one of the people in my audience. I don't like to say followers mm. again. So he said to me the process, and online I saw as well, mm. The process takes a good two years. Mm. Anyone who wants, they can go and check it out themselves. Mm. In Bangladesh, to register a charity, it takes about two years. The, just the application process. Now, these people that are dying now, that are injured, burnt, are they going to need help in two years? Are they even going to be alive? I need to help them now. Mm -hmm. So I said to all my relatives, all of you guys might as well get together, give whatever you can. What we'll do, because the money's come, once we've registered the charity back in UK, I'll reimburse you all the money that you guys gave. And us, obviously, we had our own source of income. We had Rukia money, cash and stuff like that. I didn't want to leave the cash in the UK. Took it back home for, you know, at the time, we're going to help out mm -hmm. refugees and stuff. We can also have some time with our family, yeah. right? So I said, well, let's spend our money. We'll reimburse ourselves later mm -hmm. because that money's coming in, right? So we started uh, registering the charity in the UK as well. With this guy called Mike. I think if you Google register a charity on Google, mm. that's the first guy that comes up. I still probably have those emails somewhere. Yeah. So we were trying to register the charity here as well. But anyone who tries to register a charity will know it's a very vigorous process. Yeah. And you have to prove, because there are so many charities that exist, you have to prove why you are different than all of these charities and yeah. why they should allow you to be on the register. Right? So all of this takes a lot of time. And mind you, looking after two kids yourself. Yeah. And uh, again, I still have all those receipts and stuff like that of the hotels that we stayed in. Yeah, they mm. were like thirteen pound hotels that we stayed in. Yeah, where every other charity organization that went, I can tell you very clearly, or they, I can challenge them to show their receipts of where they stayed and the money that they spent. Is it from charity? Is it from themselves? For us, we tried to spend as much as possible from our own. So we stayed in this uh, place called Ikra Beach Hotel in Cox's Bazaar. Yeah, thirteen pound a night. It was, I still got the videos. I can give it to you. You can add it on if mm. you want, yeah? We're, we got these George Foreman grills that we're grilling the chicken and stuff on inside these rubbish hotel rooms, yeah? We thought we need to help the people as much as possible. We need to save the money. So why couldn't you just share this journey at that time? Because you kind of got everything tangled, yeah. like, you know, yeah, yeah. the because, Sarah situation, yeah, yeah. the yeah, donation yeah, 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 situation, yeah, yeah. and it, everything kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. collided together. It, it all came as came at once. Now, I'll tell you something. Once something comes out online, yeah, it's very hard to control it, right? Now, imagine there was a woman who wanted to marry me, right? She was very keen on marrying me. Her brother came outside uh, my apartment in uh, Chris Street with a knife. He said, where is he? I'm going to kill him. Yeah. yeah, He's calling all the numbers, yeah? My first wife picked up at the time. What is it? He said, uh, he wants to marry my sister. Yeah, I want to kill him. I said, calm down, brother. She, she was very calm. Said, calm down, brother. It's your sister. 
who wants to marry my husband? Mm. I'll show you the conversations if you want. We have access to each other's mm. phones at the time, yeah? So this sister, in the end, right? Uh, because there was a dispute between her and a, another potential wife, right? And I was left in a situation where I could only manage and handle one because they have too much friction between themselves. I can only marry someone who would get along with mm, my mm. current family. Because I've always been the kind of person, whenever there's, you know, when you start to grow in your fame and stuff mm. like this, yeah? Literally, it's, it's no exaggeration. People start throwing themselves at you, yeah? Women all of a sudden become available to you, yeah? So, um, for me, I was like, uh, well, I'm going to have to choose one of them, yeah? So I chose one, the other one was very bitter. So what she did during this time of the scandal, and because she knew that I had some doubts in my faith, I confided in some close brothers about this, things like this. I was very open with my people who are close to me because I have no reason to really doubt them. So she knew about this as well. Yeah. So she spread this as a rumor like, he is not Muslim. Do you understand? That's how it blew up. Mm. And then, because she also knew that Charities Commission are doing investigations, she put it up out there. And a woman on fire like that, bro, you're not going to outwork her. She's got all the time in the world. She will go to every single person she can to make sure she puts out that same narrative, gets them all to push it forward. Now, during this time, a lot being thrown at you. If I answer one question, you'll see if you go back to the lives here, right? This foolish young man from... Uh, America, he, he started to get on it as well. Everyone wants a little bit of clout, yeah? He goes, he doesn't even know what he's saying. He says to me on a live, where is, the where is the proof that you stole the money? I said, yeah, where is the proof that I stole the money? He's trying to say, where's the proof that you didn't steal the money? Yeah. Now we, grow, we go by this principle in Islam and generally as well, yeah? That the burden of proof is upon the one who makes the claim. Now, if I say to you, you're a rapist or you're a pedophile, do you have to prove you're not or do I have to prove that you are? You have to prove I am. Because I'm the one who's making the claim. Mm. So now if somebody says to me, you stole charity money, where's the proof I stole charity money? I didn't. And how can I prove to you that I didn't? Except for the fact that the money is frozen and it was frozen. And now you see it's been confirmed that it was frozen. Is it still frozen? They took it. So they, they took half of it, gave it to Islamic Relief. They took half of it and gave it to uh, Red Cross. Now, mind you, going back to about talking about charity and stuff like that. Yeah, the reason why I didn't want to just hand it over to, say, for example, Islamic Relief and so on. Yeah, I don't know what your perspective is mm. or what anyone else's perspective is. For me, I see it as, now, if you look at the some of the... Uh, um, reports that some of these charities they submit, yeah, you'll see what percentage is only spent on advertising campaigns. Now, if you go through Whitechapel Station, you'll see on the barriers, I don't want to mention the charity name, they're, they're advertising on there. But doesn't that generate more revenue for the charity it does. though? It does, but is it, is it revenue you're generating or is it charity? Is it money that people are giving, expecting you to Help the people with. Now, in Islam, we don't have this thing of 100% ownership policy. No mm -hmm. way. Don't misunderstand me. Yeah? Because what it says in Surah Anfal, Allah breaks it down. There are eight categories of people who it can be given to. Yeah? 
So one of those groups is the one who distributes the charity. Mm -hmm. They can take whatever is necessary. Right? So now, say for example, if you're running a charity and you've got day-to-day -day expenses of, say for example, admin costs, yeah? Perhaps some advertising costs and stuff like that. But imagine, right, you got £300,000 here and you spent 150000 of that on advertising. I don't see that as adequate personally. And I think a lot of Muslims and a lot of people, had they looked into the reports of some of these charities that are trying to take money to help people, I don't doubt a lot of their good works. A lot of them, they do really good works. But for, for, for example, a chairman, right, receiving a salary of, say, 100, 200K, I see that as, in a, I don't see that as uh, fair, right? For myself, I didn't want to take anything for the help that I was doing, but I didn't even expect to raise that much, right? Mm -hmm. But see, when we came back, this is what happened. See, when we came back after three months of being exhausted, spending all our money and our relatives' money, some of them still haven't been reimbursed, by the way, because the money was frozen. Now, after we came back, we paid our rent. We paid our rent, which was £1,430, mm -hmm. I think. We used to live in Parkview Apartments. I still have I still have our rental agreements. That's another matter that, that, that was a lie against me. Now, I don't doubt that Muhammad Hijab, he does a lot of good work and so on. But since he made a claim... Right? He's someone who uh, had quite a bit of influence at the time, yeah? He claimed, oh, how did you get those three apartments? How did you buy those three apartments? That's a loaded question, right? If I say to you, have you stopped being a pedophile? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? I haven't, be, I haven't been a pedophile in the first place. Yeah. How did you buy those three apartments in the first place? I never bought an apartment in my, in my life. So my, you never bought Parkview apartment? My parents, no. I've never, I've, I still got the rental agreement. It was with Morgan Randall. They were the agents. Yeah, We had a two-year agreement and then we extended it one more year. So that being said by people, he took, the, now look, they added that charity thing to something else. He took the charity money and bought apartments. I've never bought an apartment in my life. You, you live quite close to where my parents live, right? And my parents, they live in a council place. Had I been that well off enough to buy houses, my parents wouldn't live in the state that they do. We like simplicity, but not that simple, yeah? I was just on my way to growing, yeah? Just on my journey. And that's when, you know, all of these things came. Now... Say, for example, people like Muhammad Hijab mm -hmm. or anyone else who said, well, you went and bought apartments. I didn't buy apartments. I've got all the uh, rental agreements with all the different places that we've had. Now, the reason why we had two apartments is because, so I like to always be for them, be there for them. I don't want to be in a workplace and mm -hmm. only see them when they're too tired. For me, I want to see them throughout the day. So even when, for example... Say when we started doing Rukia and we started getting busy, there was, a, there was a line of people outside the apartment. We thought, well, maybe we can rent another apartment. And we weren't on benefits. We were paying our rent ourselves. So we thought, well, one apartment for Rukia and the next door apartment we can live in. So we don't have to always keep moving stuff around, yeah? 
So the apartment that was for Rukia, and we thought, well, that's quite convenient because what we could do, where we didn't have childcare, where we had childcare, that was fine. Where we didn't have childcare, our child is just in the other room. I taught him to play by himself mm -hmm. and to keep himself company. So yeah. I started off like, for example, leaving him for like 30 seconds, establishing trust. I tell him, Abba, I'm, daddy's coming back, okay? So he'd see me come back after a few seconds. He trusts my word now. Now I do that for a minute. Now I do that for five minutes, 10 minutes. So he learned to trust me when I said, because children, they have this fear of abandonment. So with my son, I tried to make him develop in a way that... Was that always a fear that, 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 that this was going to happen? You're kind of training him to know that one day you will come back. No, no, no. This is, I'm saying when I'm taking Rukia sessions, yeah. right? When I'm doing Rukia, for example, in one room, mm. I could leave my son you in another room. You build that trust with him. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't cry or he doesn't mm. like, be like, well, where's my parents? If she's seeing someone and I'm seeing someone else, right? Yeah. Two rooms. I could leave my son to play by himself. He uses his imagination. From like the beginning, mm -hmm. I didn't give him toys and overstimulate him. I taught him to enjoy his own company and his own imagination. So I'd let him draw wherever the hell he wants, mm -hmm. do whatever the hell he wants. So I taught him like at the beginning when he was born and stuff, he started walking. I taught him to jump off from a book and then two books, three books, four books until he could jump off from like a few stairs. So look, obviously we've, we've spoken yeah. a lot. <laughs> this, this, Conversation has been very long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is probably the longest conversation to I've be ever honest, had with, with anyone. To be honest, I haven't even touched the surface. That's what I was saying to you in the beginning, yeah, when you said to talk, right? Yeah. There's so much to talk about. I'm actually writing four books at the same time, right? And it's all about. So all once these you reevaluate, I mean, once you do self accountability or yeah. self evaluation, yeah. in a nutshell, what would you say you've kind of contributed to us in terms of everything that has happened and yeah, what yeah. you could have done differently? What, okay, okay. what could you have done differently? to avoid all this drama that happened. And, and, and I'm sure yeah, nobody yeah. wants this drama. I, I don't want the, to no, be honest, no, wants I don't drama. want this drama in well, my, some, in my yeah, life. The online community, they love the drama. Uh, see, uh, see, a few, about a year or two ago, yeah, uh, this, uh, this brother, I think about three years ago, yeah, while I was in prison, uh, my younger brother said to me, oh, this guy said, uh, uh, if Hassanat was there, I'd want to spit in his eyeball, right? So I confronted him online on my life, yeah? Like, did you say that? He said, I don't recall saying that. He might have just said, said that based on what he heard mm -hmm. of me, so-called stealing charity money, right? Mm -hmm. So I said to him, well, I didn't steal the money. Such and such. We had a genuine conversation after we had a heated mm -hmm. exchange. At the beginning when we had the heated exchange and we were about to fight each other, there was like a thousand people tuning in. And the moment we started talking to each other like decent human beings, all the people are gone. They don't want to watch it anymore. It's not drama. Mm. So people just want to watch things that are going to give them some sort of buzz, stimulation. Right? People love the drama online. That's why they were spreading it when it was like that. Do you think they would spread evidences that I would, for example, put up to support my innocence? People wouldn't spread it as much. It wouldn't be as interesting as but this guy. But you didn't money. come on very many lives either. I, I mean, were you on the run from the police, or I mean, no, I why was, did you not come forward and say, I "Listen, did. this I is did. me, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going nowhere." Like, no, I did. That's what I, I would have done. I was always if I there. Were you. Yeah, I, I was always there. I was always uh, in the public eye. I didn't run away. I didn't say, "Oh no, I'm sorry for something." My point was right when all of this happened. Yeah, I didn't understand about. Uh, an apology video. People said to me, why don't you just uh, apologize? Apologize for what? If I didn't do anything to you, if I say sorry, that means I'm guilty. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything to you. 
for myself, say for example, in my personal life here, if I fell off the deen or I'm going through doubts mm-hmm. or problems, that's for myself to deal with. And if, and if I need help, I'd seek help from the people that can help me. I so think I where it got tricky, Hasanat, is, yeah. is when you were doing Rukia while in that state of see, belief. See, again, loaded question. That's what that's what the world that's thought. That's the I mean. assumption. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the assumption. No, no, you did the right... You, no, I'm not uh, saying anything bad mm. against you. You did the right thing at the time asking me, did you? That's the question you should yeah. ask. Not why did you? Mm-hmm. That's going with the pre-assumption that you did something bad, but why did you do it? Instead, you should ask, did you do that? Well, then w- when you've established whether the person did that or not, mm-hmm. then you can, say why, you can say, why did you do that? Or mm-hmm. why didn't you do that, right? So for example, did you do Rukia when you were a non-Muslim, right? Now this, I've answered in detail in a video that I made. I said, I think I titled it like, charging 25,000 for Rukia, mm-hmm. right? Now, did you? <laughs> I'll break that down. Did you? No, I didn't. Although people did just just hand me like four Arabs. It's, it's nothing for them to just hand 5K just like that. Like, you went to you Qatar, five, you went to various countries. I went to Qatar, Dubai, all of these people. Th- they came to me saying, I'm going to pay you such and such amount. Please just come. I was too busy with my life. We, we were at a stage where we thought, we're not going to be on social media forever. We don't want to be on social media forever. We thought what we're going to do is we're going to establish like an online Islamic bank like Starling or uh, Monzo or something like that. That was our end goal yeah. and then we're gonna get off social media we don't want to be on social media we want to raise our kids we want to maybe move, move to africa uh, raise a few orphans in a village and live there however we want during that even during uh, the phase where mm-hmm. i was somewhat say agnostic mm-hmm. even at that time for me it was like i still want to do good and leave behind a legacy that my children will be proud of mm-hmm. for me at the time i might have had a slight bit of superiority complex where i thought i thought if there's a muslim or a christian for me being someone who doesn't uh, ascribe or for me, someone who doesn't belong to any specific religion, I probably subconsciously viewed myself as superior thinking, well, I'm going to help people, not because I'm going to get a reward Mm -hmm. at the end of it or in the hereafter, but because I want to, Mm -hmm. even though I don't, even though I don't know whether there's any accountability for my actions in hereafter. Mm-hmm. So I thought, whether there's a God or not, if there happens to be a God, and he asks me, what did you do with your life? I would at least have an answer that I tried to do some good in my life. Mm-hmm. I might not be perfect. Even now I might not be perfect. But at least I tried to do some good. That was my perspective, even at the time as an agnostic. Mind you, I'm not an ag- agnostic now. So you're kind of all kind of back to... Where you're supposed to be, which yeah. is... I guess, I guess what pushed me m- more uh, towards it was my health, right? You Not the Rukia. I mean, you witness all this stuff when you do Rukia. Oh, it didn't make you feel no, like, you know what, this that, is like Allah's no. words having an effect on such that, and such that's being. It. That's like, it, yeah. That is the proof to me that the words of Allah is truth, hundred and an absolute truth. Mind you, that's a point of dispute between the scholars as well about the existence of jinn possession. Jinns, no doubt, right? There is a surah in the Quran, jinns. It says, Qul uh, So the point of dispute between scholars is about whether jinn possession exists or not. My perspective now, you might be surprised with a little bit, uh, but that's a discussion for another day, right? Uh, but I can tell you a lot of fascinating stories about my time being in the field of Rukia from when I was 17 all the way to 
now, which is about, I don't know, 14 years. Do you years. still practice Ruqya? I still practice Ruqya. But again, there's a misunderstanding on what Ruqya is. Ruqya is words or incantations which have a healing effect. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Now, going back to, because we're all over the place here, yeah? mm-hmm. I'll go back to some something you mentioned about, uh, did you do Ruqya while you were a non-Muslim? I didn't, because at the time, where I considered myself to be agnostic, I didn't like to recite or read words that I don't believe in myself. And I said that to my wife at the time, like, I don't like reciting because I understand the Quran. What I recite, I understand. I don't want to recite something that I don't fully believe in. So that's why, as you said yourself, who did the Ruqya? That's of someone that you knew. That was Jahangir, wasn't it? Yeah. That's the other person that was doing the Ruqya for me. Not myself. I tried to avoid doing the Ruqya. Right? So there was a number of reasons why I stopped doing the Ruqya myself. Firstly, reciting from bloody 7am all the way until 11pm all day. It's going to exhaust you. My voice was gone. Health was gone. I didn't want to do that. I thought, well, let them do the Ruqya. Right? And uh, for me, I can focus on some of the other things that I want. For example, creating uh, this bank, virtual bank that we want to create here. I want to put a lot of time and energy and effort mm-hmm. towards that. Because we thought, well, the audience that we have, mm-hmm. and the engagement we have, we can take that and translate it into, you know, people creating accounts with this new banking system that will, not banking system, bank. All right, look. Back to again the summary. Let's, let's wrap it up because there's, Wait, there's way too much. Just one, What did one you point. contribute towards your situation? How could you have like an improved your situation? Because I as a human Ash- being, I as a person, I would know what's right for me, what's wrong yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And as such, you yeah. should know also what's good for you and what's bad for you. What did, after reflecting yeah, yeah, yeah. and evaluating after mm. year, many years, mm. where do you see yourself contributing to the problem? Because I've seen See, some photos of you, yeah. like, you know, with the brown or gold hair color. And then, and then there was various things that were appearing on social media. of me not being practicing. Yeah, like, you know, clubbing and stuff like that. Clubbing stuff, again, that's, that's something that we can discuss in detail and mm-hmm. stuff, yeah? I'll just tell you one uh, very important thing here, where we were talking about, you were talking about self-accountability, right? Muhasaba. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Umar al-Khattab, he said, Hasiba anfusakum qabla an tuhasabu. Take accountability for your own actions before mm-hmm. they're taken into account for mm-hmm. you. Before Allah grabs yeah. you and then takes yeah. you to account. Yeah. So every day you should eva- evaluate what you did mm-hmm. or what you did in the past mm-hmm. year, what you did you know, in your mm-hmm. teenage years and how you could have done it differently. Yeah. Right? So in hindsight, looking back at that situation, I was of a total different mindset. What I could have done differently, generally as Muslims we don't say could have, that opens the doors to shaitan. Prophet said, if only, if only, if only. In hindsight, what I would do if something like that occurred again, instead of being, instead of laughing and joking about it and taking the mic out of a lot of people who are throwing insults and doing things like that, I should understand that there's a whole huge audience full of people and there's a lot of neutral people. Now, if I start messing around and joking around when somebody asks me a serious question, I'm not going to be taken seriously. Somebody asks you, Did you steal money from charity? Right? Now, if I joke and say, some people, they ask me, why did you steal charity money? That would infuriate me. Because they're going by the pre-assumption that you stole charity money, but why did you steal it? Mm -hmm. So sometimes with my sarcasm, I would say, yes, I did. And I shared some with your father. Instead of talking like that, 
because people are coming at me with insults, I should know to be better and instead just answer normally, move on to the next person, no matter how bad it is. Because I'm not the, I'm not the only person who has gone through mass amount of hate, right? I was just watching an interview of uh, Beckham the other day, you know, David Beckham, mm-hmm. yeah? He was saying there were people attacking him, spitting on him, they wanted to kill him, he had death threats, that time where he got a red card or something mm-hmm. like that. That happened with Cristiano Ronaldo mm-hmm. in the Euros. There's been so many people throughout history who have had a period in their life where they've been hated by people. But again, you have to know, and that comes with wisdom and age, time, knowledge. Um, you have to know how to handle people, especially the masses. So I guess what you're saying is like, you know, instead of being sarcasm, uh, sarcastic and defensive sh- yeah, about the whole yeah. situation, you should have just been... I should have just explained plainly and just moved on. But That's again, what I in thought my... you would do, though. I, th- yeah, yeah, I thought at some point thought, there yeah, is something yeah, yeah, coming yeah, yeah. along the line. No, no, I, I did. I did. I gave all of that, but it wasn't in like a formal sense, like I'm yeah. publishing a formal something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I defended myself. I said what I have to say. I did what I have to do. But at the same time, my heart... Is going to be snatched away. So that was the most important thing at the time. My daughter, how can I keep her safe and not ma- and make sure she doesn't end up in another home? So many children, they get abused or... Where are so they now, that, by the way? My daughter, uh, alhamdulillah, right now she's in a safe place. Um, she's well and good, growing, alhamdulillah. My sons, I haven't seen them in a few years. And I'm sure this isn't something new for any fathers living in the UK. As you know, generally women tend to be favoured when it comes to the family courts in the UK. It's not something new. It's not Are you in communication with the with the mother? I would I would never be in communication with that mother. <laughs> I would never want to be in communication. She's a liar. And when things became hot, she thought instead of defending yourself of what you're innocent of, uh, instead you should start diverting blame. Instead of taking that pressure and handling it head on, you haven't got anything to hide. Now, I'll tell you something else, bro, yeah? You know, when it came to the Charities Commission, yeah? And the police asking us questions, yeah? We had a solicitor that was Muslim, Bengali, yeah? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I should say his name. No, don't say his name. But he said to me at the time, plainly, he said to me, you know, because a lot of the things that you get, uh, you bought, say, for example, oil, rice, dal, lentils, and uh, stuff for the Rohingya refugees. A lot of it is by street vendors. They don't really give receipts, obviously. It's Bangladesh, yeah? Now, since we don't have that, but this government, they're not going to understand that. We need to make up receipts. I said, no way am I going to get myself. I like to observe and have a 360 degree view of things yeah how will this affect me later on now if i'm not guilty but i'm acting guilty this is going to come and bite me i said no there's no point of there's no point in doing that i sacked him now i went back to the solicitor that i was with when i was initially in prison uh sister zarina mustafa from tuckers she said to me i'm gonna direct you to someone his name is seamus austin he's an irish guy also works for tuckers solicitors he deals with all these financial cases and stuff like that now, I told him the whole story. I was taking my kids everywhere. He heard the whole story. He saw everything he needed to see. And he said, I feel so sorry for you. You're an innocent man. But because it's all about what you can prove, yeah, um, you're in a bit of a difficult position. Not that you're going to go prison or you're guilty. 
But we're going to say things as they are. We don't need to make anything up. We don't need to make up fake receipts. Let's just say it as it is. Say your story fully to them. And uh, whatever comes out of it, it will. So him, may Allah guide him and uh, give him some good because he did something really good, yeah? For two years, he represented me with the Charities Commission, with all of this headache that he had to do and paperwork and go through thousands of uh, transactions on statements and stuff like that. He said, I'm going to do this pro bono. I'm going to do this for free for you because I deem you to be an innocent man. And if ever you manage to get your money back, you get, manage to get your status back, you can pay me if you want to. So, alhamdulillah, you know, that uh, it was concluded and so on. I moved forward, uh, alhamdulillah, uh, developed a lot of small projects that I worked on. I'm at a very good place. What about the children? When are you going to see them again? When do you think you're going to see them? We're going to have to go through the courts uh, to get access to them because the fact is, uh, a lot of bitter women exist mm. in the societies that we live in today. So, for example, when my mother was severely ill, and and this is why I say I would never contact that woman again. My mother was severely ill, and I wasn't in a good place in my head, you know, seeing my mother in that state, and she's crying to see my children, who she hasn't seen since 12th of June 2019. I remember the day because it's a, it's a big, strong emotional trigger for me because at the time when her family bursted into my house and they threatened to kill me and took my children away from that day I haven't seen them and the time I contacted the mother regarding seeing my children and for my mother and father to see them because they haven't seen them either she called the police and lied saying I threatened to kidnap my children and for that I was arrested taken all the way and in the end they saw that what I was saying was true. I didn't threaten to kidnap my own children. So that's why I would never contact her again. <laughs> Abul Hasanat, yeah. it's been a very, very long, interesting conversation. As I said right at the beginning, it's... it's like I said, we haven't even touched the service. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I hope we can have another conversation at another time because there's loads of questions that I have Inshallah. here that I couldn't get through yeah. to. And of course... Um, I and as, uh, yeah, yeah. as for the whole like detailed <clears throat> version of my whole life and story, uh, yeah, I'm right. As I said to you, I'm writing four books about it. So when they're published, people can read it and so on. No, of course, uh, of course. Um, so again, as I said, it's not about taking sides. It's not about me kind no, of, of like course, you know of kind course, of favoring yeah. you or you you know saying whatever. It's just to kind of yeah yeah, yeah. understand just like what it, really went on. Um, There's a lot more that I wanted to say yeah. to you, for example, uh, about doing rukya. Uh, when you're not a Muslim, we established the fact that yeah. I wasn't doing Rukia, yeah. even okay. when I wasn't Muslim. But the other little thing is, even if somebody is non-Muslim, can they do Rukia? And the answer is yes. And you can see on the video that I made about that as well. It's, it's, it's been a very interesting conversation. And and um, yeah, I wish you all the very best Jazakallah in, the very, in, in, in the very near future, inshallah. And yourself. Thank and that's it for today, and I hope you have enjoyed today's episode and have entertained yourself. We have tried to maintain a very, very neutral view. I have no affiliation with Abul Hasanat. All I wanted to do is bring him onto the show and share his perspective and dig deep and ask him some really tough questions in terms of why he did what he did and why he did certain things. I hope you will hit that subscribe button, and until then, Assalamu alaikum.